0: Let me tell you about the show's newest sponsor, Juniper Mountain Coffee. You can check them out at junipermountaintradingpost.com and check out everything that they sell. I really like what they say on their website. And guys, if you are a coffee connoisseur like me, this here American company that's not run by a bunch of wokesters might be worth checking out for you. What they say is, we roast coffee for those loyal to a lost way of life. Those that never back down in the face of adversity. The ones that keep their word, treat people with respect, and still believe in the importance of hard work. We offer some of the best coffee in the world and look forward to earning a spot in your cup. And they have definitely earned a spot in my cup. Whether you like light roast, dark roast, ground already, or not ground, you just want to order it fresh. And they even have those little pod things for those of you that just make one cup at a time. I drink too much coffee for that, so I don't do that. And they also have a cold brew. But it's a great company, great story. Uh, You guys are going to dig these guys. Check them out at JuniperMountainTradingPost.com. Let them know the Western Huntsman sent you. This is that time of year when it's really time to turn up the heat on your scouting. We're going through summer season. It's going to be here before you know it. And I don't care if you're going after mule deer, whitetail, the mighty whoppity, whatever it is. Scouting is imperative, and it makes it much easier when you use trail cameras where they are allowed. And uh, let me tell you something. I, I like trail cameras that are easy to use, functional, and have good quality pictures. That brings us to SpyPoint. Spy Point trail cameras. You can check them out at spypoint.com. And it doesn't matter if you're looking to do one of the cell cams like the Flex X or the Flex G36 or the LM2. They have some great deals on their website like right now if you check them out. They've got some clearance cameras going on on the cell cams. You can also get a cell link that attaches to any regular cell camera and will uh, transmit pictures right to your phone. The other trail cameras, if you're way out in the backcountry and don't have phone service out there, the Force Pro S and the Force Pro are my go-to cameras. I absolutely love them. If you guys saw the pictures from this last bear season, they were really high-quality pictures, and they were all done with that Force Pro camera. So check it out, guys, at spypoint.com, and let them know the Western Huntsman sent ya. All right, guys, you guys are going to like this one. Let's kick it off. To the Western Huntsman Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Tan studio. And I am really happy to have you. Today is August seventh. Uh, if you are paying attention, yeah, I am doing like a recording marathon, trying to build up episodes for hunting season. So I don't want to leave you guys uh, hanging like I did last September. <laughs> and uh, this week, it's I've got somebody that I've been I've been actually really wanting to get on for a long time. Um, he's he's like this mountain man that lives up in uh, northeastern Washington, which, if, if any of you have been there, is is some serious raw backcountry kind of living, uh, right next to north Idaho, you know, and not far from uh, western Montana. Uh, they've got wolves. They've got grizzly bears. They've got black bears. They've got a little bit of everything. And so it's, a, it's just a really cool story, uh, and I've, I've been following him on social media for a long time, so really happy to have him. Ray Livingston, welcome to the show, brother.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Uh, so I I want to... Actually, let's not do that. Let, let's kick it off. How about you give us like a snapshot of who you are, where you live, what you do, and we'll kind of go from there.
1: All right. Well, I was born in uh, inner city, Portland, Oregon. and uh, You know, after in the late 80s, my dad moved us out into the country, so I lived out in, in rural Oregon. um, outside of the sandy oregon
2: oh okay and
1: i developed a great relationship with my neighbors and still one of my best friends in this world and he had a hunting family and he got me involved with hunting you know my dad and i had fished growing up but their family really got me involved with hunting and helped me take my first elk with a bow at 14 and i've been hooked ever since Mm -hmm. so Fast forward. I spent some time. I went to the University of Oregon. I was an All-American decathlete there on uh, on three U.S. national teams, and then uh, a police officer in Eugene for a couple of years. And then I went into the corporate world and realized that wasn't for me. And uh, I kind of went feral, uh, you know, around 2016, uh, and really focused my life on you know self self reliance, being being self sufficient. Um, you know, I'm looking at the way that the world is going and, you know, I, I just, I, it's hard. I don't want to be part of it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you, both, so you know, I, I, am I'm, I'm a eternal optimist and I, while I hope for the best, I also think that it's important for us to prepare for the worst. So,
2: yeah. you
1: know, not understanding how to hunt, fish, forage. Uh, be proficient in firearms usage. Um, you know all those skills that we need. So, if and when society breaks down, that that we're going to be able to provide for ourselves, our families, and our communities.
0: What do you think is uh, is missing in that with with people when you when you look at just kind of like the the nature of how society is today? Because this is a big thing in my mind as well. This this idea of self reliance and the ability and you know to not even take it down that conspiratorial road where where you know we think there's going to be some catastrophic thing from a foreign country that you know we're all off grid all of a sudden you know you know i'm not even thinking of along those lines i'm thinking of just even something like the covid pandemic or a really bad snowstorm or a you know another type of pandemic that's that's you know quite a bit worse or some some way the supply chains are cut off for you know, you, think about if if truckers stopped, for example, mm-hmm. for like two weeks, mm-hmm. that would be catastrophic. And it could be something stupid, like I don't know, like for some reason there's no diesel supply or something. You know, yep. Yep. those are the kind of things I prepare for. And and um, you know, on our homestead, we 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 are as self reliant as we could be. And so, in your mind, as you as you look at the way society is today and the way people are just in general, whether they're in big cities or not. Uh, what's missing what 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 are they missing uh and not preparing for
1: well i I think going back to what you mentioned the covid situation you know that situation really showed that our supply chain, if not under direct attack, is fragile
2: mm-hmm. and
1: just look at the 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 chaos that little bit of inconvenience caused in a lot of places that that frustration that that anxiety that fear that you're not going to have enough well for me being somebody that has taken the time to teach myself some skills and and uh and learn how to you know hunt and fish and forage i didn't have any stress i I didn't miss out i wasn't going to miss out on not having toilet paper if it wasn't there if (laughs) if if i wasn't able to get meat i i knew i could pretty much walk right outside and 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 get food for myself and my family at that time so it relieved that stress but it also you know in the case of whatever the the social the the degree of social unrest is it that confidence allows you to stay out of the fray like in a situation where people are writing or doing things and you you feel that you need to get some type of supplies but going into that situation is potentially dangerous like i don't i wouldn't put myself at risk i would just you know my 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 plan in that situation is get as far away from the city as i can and then just start taking care of the things food food water and shelter you know that's ultimately what we need and if i can provide those for myself i don't have to depend on the stores or the government or anyone else and so i've tried to get myself ready and try to help other people just realize that we depend on those things so much and 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 our dependence makes us indentured servitude it puts us into indentured servitude
0: mm-hmm. yeah no i couldn't agree more that's that's I, I the way i i see you know the vast majority of society to today uh t- tell us a little bit ray about like how you live right now
1: well, right now I'm a little bit in flux. I, you know, I I have had a forty acre homestead on top of a mountain out in, in the outreaches of Kettle Falls, Washington. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, my ex and I separated uh, almost two years ago, and you know, part of that is we needed to sell the house, and we finally got that sold. And so I have had a little trailer. I'm living in the trailer currently as I look for another piece of property. Uh, to set up an uh, an off grid homestead, and I'm looking for you know definitely something very very out of the way, very rural, and I want to set up the homestead from scratch. But yeah. I'm uh, I'm currently I started a business as a wildlife control operator and uh, wildlife control specialist, and so. You know, I deal with tra- trapping of nuisance animals, um, you know, for people that are having issues with different predators trying to figure out an abatement or lethal removal program. Um, and right now I'm working working on a uh, bullfrog eradication uh, project in an area where, you know, bullfrogs are an invasive species here. And so in the area that the um, that landowner wants to uh, reintroduce some of the native amphibians well, I'm helping them get rid of the the invasive bullfrogs, and so yeah, And then I go into guiding, and so like I'm, yeah. right now I'm kind of a bit of a, a nomad, which being in the trailer for now works until I find my my property. But
0: uh, well, hey yeah. man i i have a uh, I have a 26 acre piece of property for sale in Clark Fork, Idaho, brother. Uh, uh, except you wouldn't be off grid, man. Uh, I put power yeah. in, and it's got a well. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. All right. <laughs> That's something we could talk
0: about later. <laughs> I want to talk about these bullfrogs for a minute, man. Um, yes, sir. Uh, so this new property we bought, uh, and I'm I'm thinking by the time this releases, I will explain to uh, the audience and everybody what what happened with um, why were we moved because uh, we are now in mm-hmm. Montana. Um, we're not very far from our our Clark Fork property. Um, But we are, you know, 10 minutes down the road and and officially in Montana, which is weird for me, man. I never thought I'd leave Idaho. But uh, I don't know if this is permanent or not. We might have just, you know, bought this place because it was just such a good deal. I couldn't Mm. pass it up. So, anyway, uh, that aside, this this property we bought, this 15 acres over here in Idaho, or uh, I'm sorry, Montana, um, it has this pond on it. And these giant bullfrogs, Mm. like hundreds of them, I've killed... I don't know. I've, I've probably killed 50 of them since I've been here mm. with, with a pellet gun. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, that's, how, that's how I'm hunting them. Is it? Is, so, Is it? are they the same type of bullfrogs over there? What I was told here, Ray, is like there was some dude that owned a restaurant that was serving frog legs, and then the, <laughs> the restaurant went out of business, so he released them all over here in this neck of the woods somewhere, and now we've got this huh. invasive bullfrog uh, all oh. over the place, and they're huge, and they sound like donkeys at night, and they're just <laughs> insane.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, bullfrogs are not native to the
0: Western United States. I believe they're yeah. native to the
1: East and South, and they were brought over here as early as you know the, the turn of the, the, the century. Like you know, I know in California, they're looking at around nineteen mm-hmm. thirties they were brought over. So they've been here long enough that most people consider them to be native, but they are not. And they, they are. are one of the most voracious feeding animals that I've ever come across. Um, as an example, in, in college, I actually caught some late in the fall and decided I was going to keep them in a terrarium. Um, and I did through the winter, and, to, and at the, in the in the spring, at the earliest chance I get, because they were croaking in the house, I I released them. But I was feeding them mice, and and they and yeah. they even ate each other but i mean there's if you i'm in this project i'm opening up and i'm looking at the diet of the frogs and some of them have mice in them you know people have found snakes and birds and ducklings and like anything that they can fit into their mouth they will eat and they decimate the the native population of amphibians uh you know birds like anything mm-hmm. that they can fit in their mouth and so you know if you're trying to keep that eat that that uh, ecosystem and it's more of its natural state with the animals that belong there naturally. The bullfrogs will are a game changer for that.
0: It's crazy, man. Because the the lady we bought this place from, she was telling us, she's like, yeah, they they eat freaking everything. I mean, ducklings. Yeah. And mm-hmm. she said that um, one of the neighbors has a pond similar to this with a bunch of these bullfrogs, and and he keeps trying to release these little like six inch, you know. Um, a largemouth bass into the pond, yeah, and uh, every time he does it, the bullfrogs just get him. Like, like yep. six inch little baby bass. That's 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 a pretty sizable fish for a frog mm-hmm. to eat.
1: <laughs> yeah, big bull, if they if they can fit it in their mouth, like <laughs> any, they will eat it.
0: They yeah, can catch it. Do you? So, do you go out there at night and net them, or what? What are you using a pellet gun? What? How do you? How do you get rid of them, man? I'm primarily
1: using a pellet gun. Now, we okay. started this project a little bit late, uh, you know, just to work out all the contract details. um and so I would have loved to start it earlier, but you know the the best way that I looked at uh, the model that Yosemite in California used as they're they have an ongoing very successful eradication program out out of the Yosemite uh, park. And what they did is early in the season, they targeted eggs. And so they, because bullfrog tadpoles will stay tadpoles generally from two to three years.
2: Mm.
1: And so they targeted the eggs to, to stop as many frogs from entering the, the ecosystem as possible. So they went and dipped out and took out as many eggs and then bullfrogs don't breed until they're about four years of age. So they went on the other side and they hunted as many of the adults that would be egg layers and so, by doing that, you're cutting in, you're cutting out um, both the new frogs in the form of tadpoles entering the ecosystem, and then you're re- greatly reducing the, the the chances of the the adult frogs breeding. And so, then you're you're working on this diminishing number of of young frogs and tadpoles that are emerging. So, within you know within two or three years, with concerted effort, you could actually you know. If not reach full eradication, generally yeah. functional eradication.
0: Well, I have I have a new method for you. If uh, if mm-hmm. you're if you're open to a the, some hillbilly in in Montana, go for it. Tell are, me. Are you ready for this? So yeah, tell me. You go you go out there with butterfly nets and catch the tadpoles. Yeah. And uh, I take them into my chicken coop area and put them in the. I have a little chicken pool. Uh-huh. And. It keeps the chickens entertained all day long and they eat them. I bet. I bet they do. Isn't that terrible (laughs) sounding? No, (laughs) I actually,
1: I I found some tadpoles the other day, a good cluster of tadpoles. And I took 48 out the other day, which were 48 frogs not entering the the ecosystem. And so, yeah, Yeah. that's.
0: That's crazy. That's a good man. one as well. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just it's just funny. They chickens are dinosaurs, man. They'll eat anything. I don't care. Oh, yeah, yeah. Turkeys too. <laughs> oh yeah, turkeys too, man. Um mm. well I'm I'm super interested too, man, uh, about this. Let me scroll back up. I'm on your Instagram here. Which, by the way, everybody listening is, is Ray underscore living underscore with underscore predators. Um, the you are a cast member of the show Mountain Men. Tell us a little bit about that. Correct. Correct. Well, I was I tripped onto
1: TV. Uh, I think 2018. I did the Alone show, and uh, and that turned into me doing another show for Nat Geo called Call to the Wild, and then Donnie Dustin and myself had a had a series or one season series on USA Network called Mud Sweat and Beards, and you know I never I never. Thought anything would, you know, come of it. I didn't ever ask for it. I, I just literally, they found me and asked me if I'd be interested in doing some of these things, and I say yes to adventure. And so the most recent one is the, the Mountain Man Show, which for me is really a much more representation, uh, a better representation of the life that I live. You know, I I I'd never really considered myself a survivalist. I taught myself survival skills so that i didn't die in the mountains unnecessarily Mm -hmm. um but i was never like a dedicated survivalist i'm more of a mountain man i like i like my guns i like my chainsaws i like having heat yeah (laughs) you know know, right i want to be able to if i don't have those things i want to be able to survive but i do appreciate having those things um but you know and in the mountains like you know it's regardless of what you've got it's always tough even if you've got a, a very modern house out there you're going to need to deal with snow you're going to need to deal with uh, with predators if you have uh, livestock or, or a farm you know you're gonna there's there's always something to deal with and kind of i i love that life i feel it's a, it's a more natural way to live
0: um so sorry i was drinking water um the the question that that like it it begs when we're talking about that kind of show and that kind of lifestyle what do what do they do just like send some dude with a camera and he follows you around while you just do normal things (laughs) What what you consider (laughs) normal right um right how does that work
1: yeah well we you know in the in the weeks before a, a filming session is scheduled they kind of give me a call. Hey, what's going on with your life? And I'm like, okay, I'm doing this and this and this. And we kind of look at the, those, what I'm, what I'm doing. And, you know, maybe relative, relative to the current season, you know, if it's hunting, like uh, my, my, my episodes are pretty heavy on hunting. And so it's, you know, during these hunting seasons, this is what I'm going to be doing this, this time of the, the year. And so, yeah, we, so we, we do make a plan, but you know, what happens in the field is what happens in the field. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, sometimes things go great. Sometimes they don't go so great, um, uh, you know, and, uh, we make the best of it, but you know, that's just, yeah, they pretty much, you know, there, you know, there's definitely things that you kind of have to, I wouldn't say embellish upon, but, um, you have to kind of plan a little bit more than you normally would because you have a camera and a film crew and you're trying to get this story. But what I'm doing in the show and what the other participants are doing, it's true to their life, even if we have to, 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 um, to truncate the process a little bit just to be able to kind of have a beginning, middle, and end to that individual story.
0: So, like, basically what you mean by that is, you know, you're normally going to go out and cut a bunch of wood and split it and stack it, and then another day you're normally going to go out and hunt for an elk or a deer a bear or whatever. (laughs) And and what what you're saying is is in order to make it flow with the show, you kind of put them all in one day or, or one week or whatever. Yeah, something, something like that. that. Is that kind of or, what you're saying?
1: Yeah, or, or maybe a situation where if I'm I'm stacking wood, I'm doing cutting wood. They're gonna film a part of it, and then and then maybe I've cut wood for an hour to get it on film, and then I go off and do something else for an hour. You know, I still need to fill up my wood thing, and so you're not getting me filling up my. All the whole story of me spending a month filling up my wood, but you're getting you're getting a a snippet, a a highlight of you know what we're doing out there.
0: Gotcha. I've I've always wondered that, and I told you, I told you I had uh, Marty from Mountain Mountain (laughs) Man on the show. I don't know. Gosh, this was like two, three years ago. This show's getting old, man. I can't believe what I'm saying like three years ago. Yeah, um, this is season
1: 12 or so, your show, yeah. Years,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, and so, but this show, Mountain Men, uh, when it first came out, I was, like, addicted to it, man, because I'm all into this kind of lifestyle. But I always wondered, uh, like, how much of that is fluff versus how much of that is reality? And I feel like after watching or having Marty on the show, like, he really explained in detail. He's like, no, man, these these guys, they follow me around with a camera, and I make them gather wood and, and, uh, you know, get, get the fire going in the cabin and, and whatever, yep. you know, and, and it, they just get like, they would get stuck with him out there on that trap line for weeks. Yep.
1: yep. And, and yeah, so, they're going through it with us. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's interesting stuff, man. Do you like doing that or uh, w- what's it yeah. like to you is it what you thought it would be?
1: Well, you know, fil- I mean, filming always has its, its challenges for, you know, people that are, you know, um, results driven, you know, if I my goal is to cut my firewood and to to get it all stacked in the, in, in a way. You know, it you have to remember that you you're you the trade off for being on the show is that you're allowing them to film it and then they, you know, they want to talk and, and, and do stuff. And so. You know, for for most of us that are, you know, I'm doing a job and I'm driven to the job and I want to get this done A B and C and be done with it. You know, it, it sometimes it's sometimes a little frustrating when you're filming because they'll stop you and to change cameras or batteries and this and you're like kinda like, Okay, well, I can just keep doing this and you can film me but it'll be like, No, but the lights perfect for this particular shot, so you kinda have to wait.
0: <laughs> but you imagine. know, but it's
1: like it's it's one of the trade offs. Like, you know, I, I'm I'm still flabbergasted humbled and honored that anybody has any interest in this life that i'm living and the way i'm doing it but for some reason i tripped on a tv and continue to trip on tv and people find interest in it but
0: well I i'm mean, just i think there's a lot of interest in it man i think if if you think about if you think about these inner city people they mm. they, they live in these great big urban environments. You know their idea of nature is like the city park, and there's you know some right. some robins that may have had a nest and and uh, laid some eggs or something. you know that's their connection because mm-hmm. they don't ever go out of that they They don't leave that environment it's yeah. it's what they know. it's how they were raised it's 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 all they know and yeah. so so consider how foreign your lifestyle would be to somebody like that in yeah. like you know downtown Manhattan. I get it <laughs> you know I what I get mean. It. And so I do and, and
1: oh, go ahead the crazy go ahead. thing though the crazy part of it though is this is that this is the way I lived is more closer to the way that humanity has lived for most of the time oh, absolutely. that we've existed yeah, you know, yeah it's absolutely. only been the last few moments in the lives of humans that we've lived in these big urban concrete jungles and you know you, and you look at now the, the, the level of anxiety and stress and heart attack and health issues that that humanity is having. Because of this lifestyle, and I can tell you, I, I I am so so less. I have so much less stress now than I did when I was I was a corporate executive. I wore a suit to work every day. Oh wow! Like, like my stress level is one tenth, if if That's... that of that.
0: That is crazy to visualize mm-hmm. when, when someone, if somebody's been following you on Instagram for a while, like that's just crazy yeah. to think you used to wear a suit and tie. <laughs> yep. That's yep. funny. No, I think, I think it is. And, you know, it's, in, it's an interesting like dichotomy. Um, and I've talked about this in the past, like the way that you live. And, and I don't want to say you and I live similarly because, um, you know, we're a homestead. We're a, we're not like off grid. You know, we right. have electricity. I have, I have, right. uh, you know, a well and and running water. You know, just right. uh, we're not off grid.
1: And I think that a lot but of people. I'll qualify. My former house wasn't off grid. Like, okay, I moved What I want, I had electricity. I had, I had running water and everything. Now, what I want now is that now that I lived that life for a number of years, I'm and I've sold that place. I'm looking to be. Off grid, and um, I feel like that was a good introduction to it. And I I don't know that that I would have been successful if I jumped completely off grid from immediately. But now I understand some of the hardships and the problems and the things that need to to be overcome. Mm -hmm. So I feel that I'm ready to actually live in an off-grid environment at this point
0: see and i i don't i i, mm-hmm. I don't want to be off grid i could we were right. off grid that that property i was i was uh trying to sell you earlier we were off uh-huh. there for the first i don't know six months we were there um uh-huh. and just living in a in a fifth wheel and uh you know it, it, and it was it, it's not you know the closest neighbor was a mile away um mm-hmm. Property just teeming with wildlife. We were able to fill the freezer with what was on the land that year. Yep. Um it, it was really cool. It was really cool. But I did bring in power uh and and yeah. I'm at a point where my idea is I am able to set up my homestead so that if let's say an EMP or something catastrophic happens where we do lose power, mm-hmm. yep. I'm I'm able to to run my life off grid. But right. when yep. I don't have to, I don't want the ass ache. I, I just don't want oh, to deal with it, I, and so
1: I hear you. I hear you on that, and I, I kind of debated about that in a while, but I actually I manifested some great friends. I got a guy who sets up solar for a, a tenth of the cost of, mo, of most stuff. Like I plan on having lights, and I have a plan on having power. It's just not going to be tied to the government system.
0: <laughs> yeah, I will. Yeah, there's something to be said for that. I might need to get that guy's <laughs> name from you. I wonder if he'd come out to my place because I I want to set up a secondary uh off-grid or not off-grid uh a solar system, a solar power uh-huh. system on the house so I don't have to rely on on the government yep. power if it's possible so
1: yeah he's, he's my my former neighbor great guy he set up my other neighbor's place i think
0: they he set up her
1: system for under 3500 bucks
0: mm-hmm. what do you think is like the biggest misconception that people don't perceive appropriately about this kind of lifestyle that you live
1: I think that they, they, they assume that people are uneducated and, and do not have skills like like it takes a lot of skill. You have to be you have to be an electrician. You have to be a plumber. You have to be be a, a construction person. You have to uh, be a mechanic. Uh, you have to understand the weather and the philosophy and and and, you know, you have to think ahead about living this lifestyle. It's not a lifestyle that you can move through haphazardly and expect to survive. Yeah. So a lot of people think that people that choose to live this way are, are just kind of, you know, unskilled people when it's far from the truth. But, you know, I suppose they,
0: they think that, that you're trying to escape like modern society because you couldn't make it, kind of thing in modern society. Yeah. So, is yeah, that, is that what you're saying? I think so. I
1: think, so. I think they, they're thinking, they're thinking, it, this is we live this way because we have no other choice. I when feel like we live this like... way because we want the freedom yes. that it, it, it gives
0: us. I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I think people. They have this thing where, like, they they look at us like we're a bunch of hillbillies or something, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. And and uh, y- you know what's interesting is, you know, I've been in the military, I've gone to college, I've I've you know I've like you, I I've been in corporate America, mm. uh, that kind of stuff. And 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 the thing that always strikes me is the two, like, what do you what do you, what would we call that? Like demographic. I get like, would military be a demographic? Uh, the two like demographic groups that I've interacted the most that seem to have the most wide diversity of philosophical characters, if this uh-huh. if this is making sense, are uh-huh. the military and the folks that live in this self reliant off grid or homestead kind of lifestyle, mountain man kind of lifestyle. Yep. They're generally mm-hmm. deep thinkers. They're generally philosophical about things, and and they uh-huh. think ahead. And and like you said, the skill sets that uh, you have to be a hunter, you have to be a gardener, you have to be a farmer, you have to be a weatherman, you have to be you know all these things that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't, you can't just be kind of somewhat handy with it. You have to be pretty much an expert at these things in order to survive this life. And yeah, you- I love it. I've been talking about Hoffman Boots for a very long time. You guys know that I'm a huge fan of this company, and it's not just the great products that they make. It's the story behind the company and the people that run it. This generational family of shoemakers right here in North Idaho makes some of the best hunting boots and pack boots and lineman boots and all your boot needs right in one place at HoffmanBoots.com. For us hunters, I highly recommend the Explorer, and I don't care if you're running in the 6-inch or the 8-inch or the 10-inch. Personally, I I love my 8-inch Explorers. They've got the Vibram sole. They are totally waterproof. There's no break-in period. Guys, you can't go wrong with Hoffman Boots because you get all that without breaking the bank. So check them out at hoffmanboots.com and use promo code ALLCAPSLOCKHUNTSMAN10 at checkout for 10% off and find out why I have been wearing my Hoffman boots for years and years. Don't be one of those people that have it in their mind that Savage Arms is the same firearms that your grandpa was running around with 40 years ago. It's not. Big game hunting rifles that you can count on. I love my Savage firearms. I have got the Savage 110 Hunter. Uh, and my daughter is uh, pretty happy with this 110, 110 Apex Hunter XP. Um, the AccuTrigger is a really interesting little piece to this firearm. And it's a new piece of technology that uh, if you've never tried one, you should. Because it'll make you more accurate. It's, it's a much easier, higher quality firearm than anything else I've got out there. And I've, I've got a lot of firearms, guys. And so if you're in the market for a new hunting rifle... Make sure you visit SavageArms.com because I promise you, you're going to find something that is accurate, easy to handle, easy to use, long range, functional, just a high quality weapon that you could take to the field and have a lot of confidence that when the time comes, you've got that Savage backing you up and you're going to be notching a tag. Check it out, SavageArms.com. Let them know the Western Huntsman sent you. Thanks, guys.
1: Yeah. And I, and I love it, too. I mean, it's like, like it gives you like I think so much so much of the anxiety and social unrest that we see is because we are still, you know, relatively small mammals with a lot not with not a lot of tools. We have a, a natural fight or flight instinct. And for most people, they don't have any imminent threats. They don't have any deep problems to solve. And so our fears and our anxieties have to latch on to possibilities and we find ourselves stressed out and angry and upset about things that aren't even reality you know in this yeah. lifestyle I, I have to i do have to worry about whether or not i'll have water for my livestock or whether or not uh, i've got enough wood for the winter i've got real stuff to to worry about that i can positively affect by my efforts and so i don't have to stress about whether or not kim kardashian and kanye west are going to make it you know i don't have to <laughs> i don't have to stress about all these other things my my own personal fears don't latch onto these things and, and make them personal like i have stuff that i have to work on and the ability to work on them that calms that stress and allows me to feel good about the way i'm living and that i'm moving forward and i'm doing the things that i need to to survive in the moment and and um you know, and, you know, it helps like you know at this point in my life I, I I feel like regardless of what the world throws at me I can I can other than forcing me to live in an urban se- setting yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. whatever the world throws at me I can handle it and so I I don't walk through the world with fear I I, I, I just I walk through happy and comfortable and comp- confident that it doesn't matter what what the universe or the world or anybody else throws at me. I'll find a way around it, and I'll find a way to thrive. And that's well priceless. That is priceless.
0: Do you think? Do you have like a thought as to you've you've kind of alluded to it a couple of times? But I like to I like to define like your lifestyle as as I guess I don't know. Your lifestyle, the way it is and and the way that um, you, you are, you do have these hardships. You do have these things that are very well um, connected to humanity from a like a historical sense, right? So uh-huh. I guess one way to say it, the way people live in big cities is way newer to, to humanity than the way you live. And and uh-huh. this, like, they're the weird ones, man. Uh, the, uh-huh. We're just kind of living the way people have always lived in a lot of ways. Um uh-huh. I still, you know, I still have internet. I I obviously I record a podcast, you know, you go on TV, you know, all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. So it's not like we're removed and and living like a bunch of hermits or anything. But um, do you think that what you were just describing, the lack of that primal lifestyle and the lack of some of those more natural hardships, you know, the... The am I going to have enough wood for the winter? Which, by the way, anybody yep. thinking about doing this, just when you think you've cut enough firewood for the winter, double it. Uh, yep. <laughs> let's, get, let's get back. Um, when do you think the lack of that kind of thing and the lack of that strife that is so ancient to human existence is what kind of helps facilitate some of this like woke culture and anti-gun uh, ideology and and the, this This real leftist i don't know weird bizarre obsession with government control i, I don't know if I'm even describing this right the anti hunting movement all of that stuff is all kind of i put it in this this far left basket of goodies mm-hmm. and,
1: and for me i I try to stay away from the left right situation here's here's what I think sure is that that people have got this notion that the world should be safe and that the world that they should feel secure and and because we are small fearful mammals we we long for that sense of safety and security in a world where safety and security is an absolute farce anything and everything can and will happen and and it will and so but we've we, we've started building the society based on the idea of it being safe and secure and nobody feeling bad or nobody getting hurt when that, that's, that, that would be the only place in the entire world where that was true. When you look at the natural world, it's brutal. It is absolutely brutal. Totally. Now I'm not, I'm not saying that we should you know, necessarily live like bears do. But at the, same, at the same token, we have to understand that we cannot create a completely safe environment and that some people are good people and some people are not good people. And it's incumbent upon the good people to be able to protect themselves and their families and their communities from the people that aren't good people. And we cannot expect anybody else no matter how much we trust our government no matter how much we trust our police officers they're responding after the fact mm-hmm. and if you want to be able to protect yourself and your family and your community you have we have to be able to to uh, address those uh, imminent threats on the in the here and now um, yeah yeah and, and, and and that those imminent threats could be in the form of other people it could be in the form of wildlife it could be in the form of uh, a tyrannical government like that is why the second amendment was 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 put into place the the second thing after you can say anything you want the next thing they said is but you gotta carry guns (laughs) (laughs) in fact there was a time there was a time where you can get arrested for not carrying a gun if you came into into town you know I, it was so important for our forefathers um, not just for the procurement of food but to maintain this balance like hey, an armed society is a civil society you know if you know that if a criminal knows that everybody in my town like in in kettle falls for instance it is nothing to see people open carrying and you assume that everybody in the town is, is, is carrying at some point. And Mm so we don't, we don't have a lot of crime, you know, and then you get into cities like Chicago where they have some of the strictest gun laws in the nation and you see the crime rates absolutely through the roof. You know, um, the, the issue isn't like, I, 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 for me is it's, this culture where we just sit on our tails and we sit there and get mad and angry. We don't have mental health care. you know, the social media has has been shown to be one of the one of the banes to society in the form, uh, just because of the algorithms, the way it shows us only stuff that the only one-sided stuff that we want, you know has been used to destabilize countries already like 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 we're sitting around just poisoning our brains instead of going out and making things stronger at going out and actually seeing that all these things that that are out in the world what is real understanding what is really dangerous and what is just stuff that we've been conditioned to fear you Mm. know and once you go out and you understand you put yourself in a situation where for instance you're face to face with a cougar then you understand that you know, worrying about some trifle trivial thing at at, it while you're sitting on your couch is nothing to be stressing about,
2: (laughs) you know? And so the
1: the more you, yeah, the more you put yourself into situations where there's, where you're actually potentially in danger, and you're comfortable with it and you're confident, the more of these, the the day-to-day stuff doesn't stress you out. You know, it's, I, I don't know what, You know, I I do my best to try to get people out and to get people to experience that thing. And I think coming from the alone experience, being able to kind of fully disconnect for I was out there for 19 days, but to be able Mm -hmm. to fully disconnect, not, you know, when when you're having a bad day here in town. You sit and you well, you may go watch a funny show, or you may go to the bar and have a drink, or you know, or yell at you, yell with your friends and, and and bitch and complain and kind of work it out and kind of just dismiss your feelings. Whereas when you have some time where you are fully alone, without social media, without other forms of entertainment, you have to look inward and you have to you know deal with your demons, befriend them, and then it just brings to 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 mind what is actually a priority, what is important in life? And you yeah. realize so much of what we stress about and and fight about is utterly and utterly utterly inconsequential to the bigger picture of our lives. And once I realized yeah. that for myself, I took on so much more peace. like i I don't have bad days. I live my best life daily. Like as the stuff happens, but for me, it's like okay, you know, the universe put this challenge in front of me to give me an opportunity to grow stronger, or it, it this happens to to help me avoid some greater ill in the future. And uh, you know, I I don't look at the hardships as hardships. I look at them as opportunities for growth. And uh, and 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 because of that, I do grow. I don't get held back in life by trauma.
0: Yeah, I love I love that mentality, Ray. I I love that when you, when you look at life like that and you, and you start considering of all the things in the gravitational pull of this universe to get Mm. pissed off that Burger King forgot to put your pickles on the, the (laughs) cheeseburger, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's such a, it's such and I think that some of this does derive out of this, this lack of tangible things that happen on a daily basis. When I say tangible, you know, you could sit there, let's say, and this is no offense to somebody that works on a computer all day, but if you're a yeah. software engineer or something and you just you kind of develop something and it's not, it, 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 you'll, you'll have this sense of accomplishment. I'm sure that that exists. I'm sure that there is this level of satisfaction that a lot of people are really into that kind of thing. But there is something very different about that versus a tangible outcome that you can physically see, such as uh. taking a tree. And 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 tipping this tree over and cutting it and splitting that and stacking it in a in a pile under a uh-huh. woodshed where you know that th- the work that you just done, did, all that sweat that went into that is going to be uh-huh. like two months worth of heat for you in the in the winter. Uh-huh. That tangible thing that you Amen. see and hold and touch and and then you have this, you know, it's the same when you when you kill a deer. Uh, you, yes. You know, uh, sure, I love to. I love it. I love to take a picture of the antlers. Fun, great stuff. But what is really satisfying is that tangible thing at the end of it, where I'm cutting up meat, and, and it's a big family affair. I get my wife, my daughters; we're all involved. We we butcher yep. this animal, and we package it. We make the the cuts how we want them, and and then we see it go into the freezer, and it's there. Mm-hmm. It's all this. I don't know. I I, I think that that's lacking in society. Uh, from a very like holistic level and that's why we have so many angry people all offended, yes. bend out of shape, that we don't all agree all the time. And and mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the solution to fix that is other than getting more people out, like you were saying, to experience the tangibility of what nature can offer. Yeah.
1: I I I completely agree. Like and I was going through as you were talking about the wood, I was like having a full freezer. You know, there was a point in my life where I hunted for trophies and there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that like I, no. I hunted antlers i wanted the biggest and i wasn't going to shoot anything unless it was a huge animal and i went in imp- went without for a long period of time my funds my my fees for my uh, licenses still supported wildlife but and i and for the animals i did harvest i ate them so but i i chose at that point not to not to shoot animals unless they were huge you know now mm-hmm. i love having a full freezer i think i think having a freezer full of meat that i've went out there and i provided for myself and my family and and i've learned to cook and process you know, from from scratch the only thing that i don't necessarily do myself is build my rifle yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, you know other than that you know i've got I, I have i have my best friend does my reloading i put the loads together for him i test them i've done i do all this work throughout my life and my, all of my hobbies and interests are, are, are kind of, um, focused. Like they all support each other in the ability to harvest that animal. And for all those little aspects to come together, to allow me to harvest my animal and to get it into the freezer. You know, I mean, that goes down to physical fitness, like everything that I do kind of circles around and, 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 and contributes to the greater good in my life. Like Mm -hmm. I don't work out, I don't work out at a gym just because I want to have a six-pack abs to show off on the internet. Like I work out in the woods so that I can carry my elk out. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, totally, man. It's it, it, yeah, you know,
1: that, that it's but it's, it's, all, it's everything it's a I thing. do We're has not, purpose. Exactly, everything I do has purpose, and that gives my life meaning and it brings me joy when I have those those little confirmations that I've all my, all the my efforts have are working and they're doing the things that I want them to do. And I, I, I like every day of my life is rewarding. Even if I'm just digging a ditch or putting, putting pole, plant, putting, uh, putting some type of post in the ground, you know, that's one little thing that's going to contribute to, to the, the greater good in the whole. And I think so many people, they have this, schedule where they go to work they get a paycheck they spend the money on things that to try to make themselves happy but they don't really truly feel fulfilled and that builds angst anxiety and animosity and and you have all this other free time that you're just trying to fill that you have time to worry about the Kardashians or or, yeah, man. or all this other stuff that really really doesn't matter in our lives
0: yeah yeah no i i couldn't agree more i think that's uh, again not to sound like a broken record but that that is where a lot of the angst and anger and and just overall unhealthy mental attitudes that are going on you know you know what another thing um that one of the things you'd mentioned kind of made me think of this but the thing that i learned about being on this this trajectory of self reliance as a homesteader, and you, you uh-huh. know I still have a job. I I have uh, my office is clear down in Spokane, Washington. Right? Hey. I don't I don't go there very often. But um, <laughs> most most what I can do is is you know remote and on the road kind of thing. But anyways, I so I still have my foot on that side of things, I, or inside uh-huh. the box of of you know uh, some level of corporate work or whatever. I don't know. I I work for a small business you know 150 people big roofing outfit anyway nice so um the what was i saying oh that's what i I was getting at one of the biggest lessons i've learned and and i i think it's brought me personally a lot of satisfaction because i'll be honest i have not always been such a happy camper man uh i Mm -hmm. I was in the i was in the marines uh i was over overseas during some very tumultuous times uh i i came home and and you know kind of transitioned into back into civilian life. And I was a very angry person uh, for a long mm-hmm. time and I can, relate. I can relate. Yeah. And so it, it, there was, there was that aspect of it. And it was the monotonous uh, redundancy of like living this nine to five job where I'm constantly chasing what everybody else thought was a societal norm and uh-huh. for me it wasn't this norm and so i i i kind of disconnected as much as i could with my family and and they they were totally on board anyway and uh-huh. what i found is is myself and my entire family my wife and my kids we we learned about this this connection that happens when you're being self-reliant and living off the land and how everything is connected so that uh-huh. is our connection like everything is connected you know, the understanding, understanding the habitat of, of a, let's say a mule deer and, mm-hmm. and, and where they live and, and understanding how that's connected to the type of firewood we use and choose mm-hmm. to use and, and how that's connected to what we grow in our garden and how that's connected mm-hmm. to the earth and how I, I, you know, I'll dig up a, a big chunk of land to make it a root cellar and, and all these things that just interconnect. And I, I'm, I'm very much simplifying this. But uh-huh. that, that connectivity and understanding how the world is connected together is much greater than it was before I did this, and and uh-huh. I think that the lack of that is also what feeds into a lot of this depression and this this anger and this angst and this you know this need. This is where I think again, gun control and like anti-hunting. Those those type of movements come out of this need to attach themselves because they humans have to feel like they have a challenge and a fight, and they have to feel like they have a tribe. And when they don't, it turns into stuff like that. That's that's quite honestly, in the in the scheme of humanity, a very petty thing to be anti-gun or or anti-hunting or or be woke and try to control everybody else and and like like as if we 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 all have to agree. That's where it comes from, and it's a foundational problem, I think
1: yeah, and I think it's supported by people's just fear, like fear, like we fear, it, yeah, i'm I'm afraid, so something has to change. yep. And, and and sometimes what has to change is your understanding of the situation. That, that oftentimes there's nothing to be afraid of. And oftentimes the solutions that people are proposing have nothing to do with the problem or have will have no result on improving the problem. It, such is the case with gun control like the the, the the i'm for something that will help stop these school shootings and 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 from people shooting up malls and stuff like that and from people that mm-hmm. that are mentally mentally disturbed not to not be able to get a hold of firearms I'm for that but th- what they're proposing now does not address that that addresses not at all gun control controlling firearms for everyday citizens the people that are the laws like i think in the in the in the department of justice study they did i believe it was in 2019 they showed that like 86 percent of the firearms used in crimes are obtained illegally and so that's the uh, overwhelming majority of them
0: the data all suggests that the more frivolous type of gun control legislative action that is put into place the worse the crime gets like that's what the data shows
1: that's why. And if tried, I was a criminal, know. if I was a criminal, I would be like, hell yeah, I've got my stuff. Yeah. Just, I know. These people is going to, as time goes on, under these under these laws, less and less people are going to have the ability to protect themselves. Uh, and yeah, it's just like you know, basically letting the like letting the wolves into the the sheep.
0: you know, you're yeah, that's exactly what it is, man. Like, how can how can somebody sit back and be OK with the fact that they are not armed and they have no way to defend themselves and their only protection is making a phone call and hoping that the police get there in time?
1: It makes no sense to gun. me. Yeah, a man or woman with a gun. A man, yep, <laughs>
0: that's is, what's the solution. Gonna save it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, man. I had a. I had my truck caught on fire last year. Oh, and no. it took almost an hour for the fire department to get up where I was at. Now, granted, I was in a pretty yeah. remote location, but yeah. that's that's the kind of thing, like, I felt really helpless. You know, I, w- I, I was prepared for everything. Uh, if a grizzly bear came out, I, I was prepared. Right. Yeah, you know what I mean? But my truck well, catching I mean, on fire.
1: was a that, perfect example of a hardship that. Learn just something yeah. for the next time. Now you probably have a, a fire extinguisher. I have. two. I have two fire extinguishers. We learn from hardship.
0: Yeah, man. It's it's ama- it's amazing stuff. This is a great topic. This is a great topic. What uh, when when you're uh, I I, w- I wanted to touch on before before we wrap this up here. Um, I wanted to touch on the kind of the commission. Sorry, I'm, my phone was beeping again. Gosh. I think oh, well. It totally distracts me when that happens. I'm a single track person, man. Um, the, the Washington Commission and some of the things that's been coming out of uh, whether it's legislative or or from the commission yeah. in the state of Washington, uh, obviously that's something we've been watching on my show and discussing for a long time. We've lost yeah. the bear uh, spring bear season. Um, to me, I I was listening to a podcast that some guys had recorded with one of the commissioners and the commissioners going, well, you know, I know there were some people that were upset about losing the spring bear. No, sir. Let me correct you. It, it's not that people are just upset and we're going to get over it. This is the, this is the beginning of the damn breaking. And yes. so forgive me, for giving you a hard time about it, but but I call bullshit on that whole thing about how I know people were upset, but you know we came to this decision. No, you came to the decision out of emotion and and social pressure from anti-hunting groups that have political motivations and other motivations. I'm going off on a rant. I wanted to get your I wanted to get your take my, on but, all this, not mine. My take on <laughs> it is
1: there the, that the commission is appointed by the governor. And the commission has been stacked with people that have a certain agenda. I mean, th- their proposal for changing the, the the management policy this year is basically tells us that they want to to move away from the North American model of, of wildlife management
2: mm-hmm. into
1: this uh, this 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 new policy that's basically they're. It seems to me that they're trying to get to a point where they can say that hunting is no longer needed, and the ecosystems will manage them themselves. To some degree, philosophically, I I believe that. But also, but but also, this that also takes away our freedom and our ability to provide for ourselves in another way. So I think, you know, that the, and the, the way that these things are being taken, like the the anti people. Like the, the 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 pro hunters are not understanding how deep and how how conniving that these are going. We didn't lose spring bear just based on those recent commission hearings. What they did first is they sued the government, uh, the the the, the, uh, the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, which settled settled the the lawsuit about them whether or not they were doing enough to prevent timber damage from bears and once the fish and wildlife lost that lawsuit that was one of the main reasons that the spring bear season was put into effect to to affect that timber damage now you have a lawsuit where the where the state has said no we failed at that and so you've taken away one of the main reasons for having that spring bear season and then they were able to attack it so they're attacking these 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 policies very strategically very legally and they're looking at breaking apart all these little aspects of it and that is the scary part because because the the sportsmen and the hunters are not as coordinated and they're not looking at it that way we're 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 fighting fires when they pop up well these people have been been laying (laughs) laying 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 landmines for us for years in, in advance and so we're fighting back though now and like mm-hmm. howl.org if if no if like if you are not a member of howl.org if you haven't been to the site howl for wildlife howl.org they deal with with protecting our hunting rights they've around the country they've saved and they basically they make it easy on their and under their howl section you can go to it and you can click on an issue uh, that you're concerned about and then you as you click on that issue it gives you a drop down you can send you, just, you can just press enter your information and just press send and it'll send a message to all the relevant legislators uh, or if you choose and i do this a lot myself I, I delete the messages in there and i type out my own my own thoughts and opinions in it but it still sends that to not just one but to all the all the relevant legislators on that so that we can actually get our voices heard by these legislators where most hunters they will bitch and moan and complain within their groups or, or on social media, but they're not doing anything that actually helps affect that change to show people that this is important to us. Bitching on social media doesn't do us any good. Yeah. But the howl.org is a platform that gives us a voice to try to save our hunting rights. And save our hunting traditions, and I I really implore everybody to be a become a part of that. I'm doing a fundraiser for Hal dot org and the Silent Majority Foundation, and I'm I'm one of the national. Um, program uh, directors for the First Hunt Foundation, and so I'm doing a fundraiser pretty soon. I'm kind of waiting till after my first episode of Mountain Men airs, so I kind of get the most bang for my buck with that.
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. But I'm putting
1: out something, and I'm raising some money for Hal.org. I'm raising some money for Silent uh, Silent Majority Foundation, who is who has active legislation for uh, against a lot of these firearms laws that are mm-hmm, that are coming into, mm-hmm. into place. And then at the Hunt, the First Hunt Foundation, which I'm a national director of uh, on. <laughs> I'm the National Diversity Program Director, uh, at which we call Forgotten Rights. But I'm yeah. trying to get that program off the ground. We're the largest hunting mentorship organization in the United States. Yeah, yeah. And well, I'm a we've member, got too awesome we got 46 we're now in 46 states we got over almost 1100 mentors around we have a huge a nice youth deer camp coming up at the end of october in in northeastern washington but we're trying to basically tie these people to save the hunting heritage and get more people involved and the more people we get involved even if they don't plan on being like crazy crazy uh lifetime hunters like us but to have that those skills to give them those skills to to harvest and feed themselves if necessary but we're trying to push that out but like those those organizations are you know some of the ones that are going to help save our hunting tradition our, our our second amendment rights and we still got a pretty steep fight yeah, but, we do. Uh, no. We have but. we
0: have a major fight in front of us, Ray, and I. I think that you know, I I I like organizations like Howell. Uh, I I support those kind of organizations. I think there's a place for them. Um, obviously the First Hunt for uh Foundation, uh, you know all that that stuff. But getting back to like the anti-hunting movement and and where mm-hmm. Wash the state of Washington is going, I believe we're at a point where we need a much more aggressive. Like, howl.org is great because it can consolidate one message and, and get a lot yes. of voices heard, right? The problem is, is like a legislator, when he gets, you know, 3,000 emails that all say the same sure. message from howl.org, they're not reading those. No. I feel like where what what we need to do as, as hunters and as sportsmen is it, there needs to be more... And the the Washington Commission kind of hid behind this because of the whole COVID thing for a long time. You know, oh, we're only going to do online commission meetings and stuff like that. But if ten thousand hunters in the state of Washington showed up to the next commission meeting, that that's what's going to turn the, that's going to what's going to move the needle. If if ten thousand hunters showed up to a legislative meeting where where there was any sort of hunting topic involved, that's going to that's going to move the needle that's yeah. and there's a hell of a lot more than 10,000 hunters in the state of Washington and and so and like you said the the just just being together and being On the same page and quit fighting about who who uses what uh, caliber or, 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 you know, (laughs) rifle versus bow kind of argument. All all that all that little nitpicky stuff like we were talking about, you you know, how people get so upset over the Kardashians is because they don't have a bigger objective. They don't have something bigger to achieve. And as hunters and sportsmen, we have something bigger to achieve. We have something to protect. And what we we have is the history on our on our side. We have the science on our side. We need to start acting like activists.
1: That's one thing with this commission that I'll say is like we didn't lose we didn't lose spring bear because of the science like the the, no. the, the fish and wildlife the commission it has repeatedly ignored the science of the biologists that they that they, that, that the fish and wildlife department employees we pay these people
0: biologists
1: it, yeah we pay these people hundreds of thousands of dollars every year their turnover rate is through the roof our our wildlife conflict officers are constantly just slammed with calls and they tell us that we see the science and it just doesn't feel right. So we're doing something else. Like, like, mm-hmm. there, like there, there, there's, there can be nothing more clear to them than not, not only this is this, this is a totally political issue. Not only are we putting aside the the health of the ecosystem and the environment by, by, you know, ignoring the science that these biologists have given us this is they're telling us it's, it's purely political right then and there because it doesn't feel it doesn't fit their agenda
2: mm-hmm. it doesn't
1: fit our feelings if they were there to honestly benefit our the health of our ecosystems and our wildlife that those things would be th- th- that it would be completely objective you know it would be, be Based on the science, what, what our science is telling us, and so what they said is that they basically want new science, science that <laughs> to redefine. They, they
0: <laughs> want science that agrees with. Possible. They want science that agrees with their emotions.
1: Exactly, and because they're not getting that, they're just going to go with their emotions, and that's a dangerous and slippery slope for any any situation where we're we're talking about the balance of the, the wildlife, the the way that our forests develop. Which are dependent, like you said before, in the, in the earlier conversation, everything is connected, mm-hmm. and if our wildlife is not in balance, uh, neither are the rest. Neither is anything in the rest of the ecosystem,
0: and the the wildlife cannot be. I, I just I do not agree with the theory that leaving wildlife alone will create this. Um, Utopian wildlife management system where they just keep themselves in check the 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 problem with that entire theory is is it's two thousand twenty three we have freeways we have major metro areas exactly. that were formerly wintering grounds we have you know, dammed mm-hmm. off reservoirs. We have railroad systems. We have uh, towns around every corner. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just wildlife management is an absolute necessity, and the best way to do that is through mm-hmm. the North American model of wildlife conservation. And, and we just have to make the general public understand that more, uh, not necessarily make them hunters. And so I don't know. Right. It's that's, a big matter, that's man. The,
1: that's that is a huge point. Don't overlook that. Like, I've always said, I'm not trying to change the minds of the people on either end of the spectrum. Yeah, You know, I, like, we'll say the wolf issue. I'm not trying to ta- change the minds of the people that think that... We should save every single wolf, and I'm not trying to change the minds of the people that say we should kill every single wolf. I'm trying to change the minds of the people in the middle that that don't really have a— and this is the majority of people that don't really have a dog in the fight. Exactly. I want them to understand that there is a management need in between the two. They're like, while while these animals do belong in our ecosystem— because they're introduced and they, and because the ecosystem hasn't had them in them for a hundred over almost a hundred years, we need to manage their introduction. And, and some of that means that there's going to be some lethal removals, yep. you know, uh, you know, and the animals that survive, like we, the, the, the fact that we have such high predator and game populations right now is a testament to the fact that we have a lot of, Suitable habitat for them, you know the the idea that man has encroached upon nature and blah blah blah. Like we we're part of nature, and so so. Mm-hmm. But the, the the animal populations are high because we have a lot of suitable habitat. But we it isn't incum, incumbent upon us like to to manage those populations. You know, currently in northeastern Washington, fishing game uh, kills almost as many cougars as hunters. You know, and that's at, because at we tax taxpayers
0: we, expense versus at the, the tax tag expense. Revenue. Yep,
1: exactly. And so if you have a slight change to the to the regulations, like in Oregon, you can hunt cougars all year round. You get two tags. Do that. You, you, you do that in Washington. And then, then normal citizens can. I can go to. I can. I could go with my tag to Jim Jim Baum's farm, who is having this problem with cougars. And I can fill my tag, harvest a cougar, or I can. Or I, I. can take somebody else. That if I filled my tags, I can take somebody else over there, and I can help mm-hmm. deal with that. Where the Fish and Wildlife Commission can deal with other issues that are more pressing, uh, because because we can do this. And the big thing is that animal is then utilized. Cougar, for instance, is. In my opinion, the best tasting of all of our of our wild game animals. Better than black Why, beer? better? It is the best. Really? <laughs> it's like, okay. Like it is like, um, and I've I've shot three in the last year, and they are great. But they are like uh, like farm raised pork uh, with a little bit of sweetness to them. Like it's probably yeah, I, the most I, palatable.
0: I think it's good. But, I think it's good. But I I'm uh, I don't know. I have I have a time coming off. What's that? You're a bear fan? Oh yeah, oh yeah, big oh, time. Yeah. I love I, I and I I don't care if it's a spring bear or a fall bear, man. I right? it's it's probably my favorite uh, favorite game meat. Yeah. But well, my uh, point
1: is that these animals are now being they're they're being lethally re- removed and they're being wasted. Yep, exactly. And that yeah. is not that's just not acceptable to me. Like, I, like yes, they do need to be dealt with. Once they've depredated, they, they, that's the policy. Once they've done a depredation, then there's it's an automatic lethal removal. But wasting them is just ludicrous to me, and so you know allowing if they if they don't want to allow hunting with canines, lighten up the reg, the regulations so that and you keep the management goal the same there's there's a harvest quota and once the, once the unit has reached that harvest quota, you shut it down, but nobody ever meets those harvest quotas. Well you open season up all year round, let people get some multiple tags so the people that are hunting them can, Keep those numbers into into in under control. Then we have less issues. We have less taxpayer dollars spending, you know, being spent, and less animal lives being completely wasted.
0: Yeah, just wasted meat. And the other, the other, you know, the thing is, is as we were talking about, you know, how well some of the wildlife species and the and the populations are doing. And whatnot, and and you'd mention it's it's because we have all this great habitat. But the, I I think the the thing that these anti-hunting organizations and, and kind of the, the ideology of anti-hunting doesn't take into account that the populations are so good right now. It, we have people that are actual stakeholders in the well-being of their population. It's called a hunter. Mm-hmm. We want mm-hmm. healthy populations. We want we them to be managed for healthy populations so that the hunting is good. Show me somebody who is going to be a stakeholder, in, a, like an actual tangible stakeholder. I feel like I've used the word tangible too much in this episode, but <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Uh, stakeholder that, that is greater than the hunter. Somebody that just doesn't want to hunt. They are not a, a real stakeholder. They are not going to be interested in public land access, or or okay. seeing very uh, healthy populations of elk, or seeing mm-hmm. good bear populations, good good deer populations. They don't care. They they won't care. That that'll go by the wayside, and these animals will go by way of Europe, where they're very middle. They're just like almost non-existent in so many places mm-hmm. because there's no stakeholders. So.
1: I agree, and I think to that, I think all of our commissioners, at least once or twice a year, should have to go out with a conflict officer and deal with wildlife conflicts, deal with the landowners, the ranch owners. Yeah, go, I agree. And they should have to go spend some time out there as part of their commission, especially since they're trying to to, to get approved to be paid to be paid positions. They should. I mean, the, most of them don't don't have hunting licenses. Most of them don't hunt. Uh, go they're out not and be. Yeah, you see the 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 devastation that some of these farms and ranches are having because we won't effectively allow them to manage the uh, the the population.
0: Yeah, lots to uh, lots to achieve, lots to talk about, man. We're gonna have to do this Amen. again. Um, Amen. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on my show. I actually, I actually, Ray, I really enjoyed this conversation, man. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh,
1: thank you. I enjoyed it myself as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's uh, seriously let's do it again. I let's, let's let the the um, when does the Mountain Man season come out? The so
1: Mountain Man season comes out on Thursday, August twenty fourth. So I'm not sure whether or not I'll be on the first episode of the season, but it comes that the new season opens at uh, on the twenty fourth at eight eight seven Central on History Channel. And, uh, you can, you know, know. I've got my YouTube channel is Apex living with predators is my YouTube channel. And you type in Ray Livingston for most of my socials and you'll be able to find me in a few places on Facebook and Instagram.
0: Hey guys, I encourage you to jump, especially on that. I I love your Instagram, man. It's, it's so much fun to follow. Uh, I love the Apex wildlife solutions. Uh, just the concept of that, man, we, we have more of that. that
1: that is, that, I, I chose my logo and I chose that name on purpose because there, it's a balance to be, to be, yes. to be met. So yes. We're not trying to, we're just trying to maintain the balance. We're not trying to eliminate anything.
0: I, I love it. And, and it's, it, that's such a perfect logo. I would, if you have t-shirts like that, I'll buy one right now because I love uh. the way it is like the Department of Justice almost, you know, or the, or where, where you see that scale. You've got the yes. wolf and the ungulate and the hunter and, and everything is right there. Wildlife solutions and wildlife management requires everybody and everything to have this kind of stake in it, and that's that's I think what you're trying to achieve. And and so, amen. Yeah, brother, I really appreciate it, man. Um, stick on the line for just a minute, but uh, before we I, I hit stop here, I just wanted to you know let everybody know um, I I will have your Instagram, your YouTube in the show notes. If you want anything else in there, just let me know, Ray. Um, that's and uh, you guys check them out. It's uh, going to be a wild Mountain Men season if you're a, if you're a fan of that show. It's I I feel like in terms of like reality shows and this type of lifestyle, it's one of the more authentic ones, and yeah. um, you can really learn a lot from it too. So uh, definitely, yeah. So Ray, thanks again, man. This was this was a lot of fun, brother.
1: My pleasure, My pleasure. We'll have to do it again. Yes, sir. <laughs>